0: God can do anything, right? I wish mean, was time, time out. Like, am I at church today? I know it's early still. God can do anything, right? There's nothing that is impossible with God. And throughout Jesus' life, he proves that nothing is too big for him, nothing is too difficult for him. As, as he goes through his ministry, time and time again, people with needs, people with impossible situations are brought at the feet of Jesus. And every single time, Jesus has an answer. There was never anything that he put down. There was never anything that he said, I, I'm not really sure I can handle that or I need to put that one aside or I'm going to have to think about that when he always was quick to be able to intervene and act, to show nothing is impossible with God. His miracles show that He can. They also show us that He just isn't the one who can do the impossible. He wants to. He has a desire. Jesus wasn't reluctant or hesitant to intervene and act in people's life. There wasn't some sort of buttering up process or proper procedure to go through to experience what Jesus desired to do in people's life. His miraculous power came out because of his deep compassion for people. For you, for me, for our needs, for our pain, for the darkness and disaster we live in, Jesus acted and did the impossible because, because He cares, because of His rich and deep compassion. This morning, we're going to look at a story that, for many of you, may be familiar. Jesus is invited to take part in a pretty substantial miracle. And as he is participating in that miracle, another miracle happens on his way. So we have this morning a, a miracle within a miracle. And so what you're going to get today is a sermon within a sermon. We could be here for a while, all right? Bear with me, I'm just, I'm just kidding, all right? We have a time frame on things. Miracle within a miracle, a sermon Within a sermon, would you draw your attention to Luke chapter 8 and would you stand in honor of God's word as we look at verse 40? And when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, and she touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said... Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, come on, the the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, no, no, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. When the women saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well." can be seated this morning. This is a a beautiful story, a story that many of you have probably read. And I'm certain if you've been in church for some time, you've probably had a sermon or two preached on this passage of Scripture and on this story. It's a unique story, a miracle within a miracle, too, for the price of one, if you will. But what I want to draw your attention this morning, as we look at this story, in particular, I want you to notice that I want to draw your attention to the compassion that Jesus had for the people he encountered that day. It was his compassion that led him to do what he did. The outpouring of his power came as a result of his compassion for those who needed his power. As you look at verse 40, you can't help but notice a familiar picture that Jesus dealt with oftentimes in his ministry, and that was the crowds. Everywhere Jesus went by this point in time in his ministry, there were people. In fact, just before this, he had gotten on a boat, been involved in a storm to kind of get away from the people. He gets off of the boat. He's immediately greeted by a man who's possessed by a demon. And as soon as that demon is cast out of this man, there are the crowds again, wanting, looking for him, wanting to be a part, wanting him to meet their needs, wanting to see and watch what this Jesus could do and what he would do for them. And that's what I want you to notice about Jesus and about his compassion. That his compassion was personally accessible. The crowds cannot wait for him to get back to his healing which they'd come to know him for. He steps off the boat, there they are. He was so unlike other religious leaders of his day and and since that day. He wasn't in an ivory tower. He wasn't protected from the people. He didn't enter places and walk through places with pomp and circumstance and with his massive, well-dressed entourage. No, Jesus was a man in the streets, the fields, boats, by the sea, in the synagogues, in their homes. He was a man with the people. He was so high and mighty, yet so humble, compassionate. When you think about it, Jesus spent his entire ministry in the public eye, around crowds like this. And crowds like this would eventually become really dangerous for him. They, they dogged him. They crushed him. They misunderstood him. They endangered him. They even sometimes tried to kill him. Most of the crowds that Jesus was gathered around, that he found and, and met and, and, and pressed in upon him, they weren't made of believers. No, they were made of fickle people. In fact, likely that day, those witnessed to these two miracles, likely that day in that crowd, there were some that one day would be screaming, and another crowd for his blood. They were looking for miracles. They were looking for solution, problems to, solutions to human problems. They were, they were looking for physical and social problems to be dealt with. Some were there trying to trip him up, to make him blasphemy, to get him in trouble. Yet he was still accessible to them. He proved who he was, he showed them who God really was. And in the midst of all that, he preached that God would forgive their sins if they would cry out in humility for forgiveness. Jesus came for all of us. His compassion extends to the humble, but I want you to hear something. His compassion also extends to the arrogant. Self-righteous, hard-hearted, the rebellious, the advantage-taker, the fickle. No matter who you are or what your angle is, why you're here, what you have done or what you haven't done, Jesus is accessible to you. He is not ashamed of you. He is not embarrassed by you. He lets us press in, come in for the right reasons and for the wrong reasons. And so in the midst of the crowd, pressing in on him, there are two individuals that capture the attention of Jesus. And the story begins to unfold. All attention is drawn to these two people. The first is a religious leader. The second is a woman. Both characters are very similar in that they share the same scene, share the same moment. But in many ways, they couldn't be more different. One is a man, one is a woman, one is rich, one is poor, one has a name, one remains nameless, one is revered and exalted, and one is vilified and despised, one is respected, and one is rejected, one is used to being honored and one is used to being scorned, one has a 12-year-old old daughter dying. One has a 12-year-old disease. One leads the synagogue, would have been considered the pastor of the synagogue and God's people. One has been excommunicated and unwelcomed to the synagogue. Here in this story, you see Jesus embracing the extremes Whether you are rich or poor, black or white, educated or uneducated, important or not important, powerful or have no power. Whether you work in a high-rise building or whether you clean that high-rise building, Jesus Christ is available to you. We're told in Mary's song, Luke chapter one, verse 52, that he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble of his state. And so the first that we meet in verse 41, after the crowds come to Jesus, the first one we meet is Jairus, who was ruler of the synagogue. Jairus was listed by name in this story and it's likely he was listed by name because everyone would have known him. I mean, he was the pastor of the community in many ways. He would have been someone that a lot of people depended upon, a lot of people trusted, a lot of people looked to, a lot of people loved. They would have known him. He was a man on the top, prestigious, respected, revered, mature spiritually, devoted to the Lord, devoted to the people, trusted by the people, well-versed in the Old Testament, tremendous responsibility was upon his shoulders to lead the people. And he was expected by his colleagues to approach Jesus in a certain way. You see, Jairus was part of a group of people that sought to trick Jesus into blasphemy and kill him. They were jealous of Jesus. And it was expected that this high revered man of this community, well known by everybody, would fall in line with everyone else. But on this day, this visit, all religious battles are set aside and he is reduced to a grief-stricken father. He breaks company line when he falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to beg him to come to his house. He's no longer concerned about what some pharisaical or tribal connections might think of him. He doesn't care at all. No longer is he concerned with what other people think and pleasing other people and being the man all the time. No longer is he concerned what what they're going to say in the the back rooms of the the Baptist church there. No longer is he concerned what the deacons may do if he acts in this moment. He just needs to get to Jesus and he needs Jesus to get to his daughter. His daughter was near death and we learn later that moments later she died. She was 12 years old. The peak of life blossoming into a teenager, ready to be a woman. In those days, the age of 12 was that big transition from just being a child to being a woman. In fact, many responsibilities were put on a young woman at the age of 12. One of those is they were eligible at that point for marriage. Which, by the way, having a daughter of myself, I'm so grateful that's changed. And that at twelve, I'm not worried about some dude coming to ask her hand in marriage. I mean, I mean, we've already set the rule. Thirty-two is the age. All right. She was his. Yeah. She was. uh, She was his pride, his only child, his joy. And he had lost her. But he had enough faith. He had enough faith to believe that Jesus could heal her. He even had enough faith to believe that Jesus could raise her from the dead. This is a rare man, Jairus. A rare man in the upper crust of Jewish society that day. Very unusual to find a religious leader, a ruler of the synagogue, believing in Jesus, believing in his power, humbling himself in this fashion before Jesus, desperate before him. How grateful he must have been that day that Jesus was accessible to him, that Jesus stopped and agreed to go. Just by the way, people who call themselves today modern-day faith healers could learn a two from the eternal faith healer as they sit in their 10-story, five-star hotels with ushers sorting out people to bring up front to make headlines. With their pomp and their circumstance and their entourage, Jesus is here, down, down with the people, smelling them, being touched, being interrupted, being taken. He does, he makes himself available to them. And and that's the Jesus you need to see of Scripture. That's the Jesus of the story that just pops off the page. Jesus gives these people access. That's what he does. We make such a show of coming to Jesus, but he doesn't care how big or how small, where you are, what you've done, what you haven't done, how you look, how cleaned up you are, or how dirty you are. We put this picture off of religion where only certain people doing certain things can get access to him. But Jesus shows us that his compassion is personally accessible, but it goes further than that not only is it personally accessible, it's also personally available. Jesus is not only accessible, he's also available. Access doesn't go far enough. In fact, access is just a little bit superficial. It means you're there, but available takes it a step deeper. See, he wasn't just accessible to the crowd that day. He was available to a person. He goes to the man's home. He walks into his house. He stops what he's doing and he focuses on him. He wasn't just committed to the crowd. He was committed to people. And that's the way it is with the heart of God. God is not just concerned about humanity. God is concerned about the human. About you and me. Matthew 15, 30, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them their lame, their blind, the crippled, the mute, many others. And they put him at the feet of Jesus and he healed them. God has compassion for us. God cares for you. That's why he did the healings. That's why he resurrected people from the dead. Because he wants to demonstrate not only his power, but behind his power is his compassion and his love for us. Matthew 14:4. 4, he went ashore and saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Mark 1:41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, "I will be clean." And in Matthew 9, 36, it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He's accessible, but he's available. And that availability shows us as the story progresses on that he's not just available, he's also personally interruptible. This compassion takes a step even deeper. So Jesus agrees to go. we have told a little bit of the story of this man's daughter. And in verse 42 and halfway through the verse, it says this, "'As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. "'And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. "'And though she spent all her living on physicians, "'she could not be healed by anyone, so she came.' Up behind him, and touched the fringe of his garment. Immediately her discharge was ceased. And he said, who, who, who touched me? Now Jesus was used to being interrupted. It's almost like Jesus could hardly get a word or sentence or paragraph out throughout his ministry without being interrupted. In fact, there's a funny story I read this week in my time with the Lord of he was preaching to a group of people, big thousands of people, preaching to a group of people, which would be awesome, wouldn't it, to actually go to a service and sermon that Jesus is preaching. Man, I'd have my pen out, my notebook out. I'd be all eyes, all ears on that. So he's preaching to this group of people. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this dude stands up and said, hey, Jesus, can you tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance? he just interrupts his sermon and asks him to come in his family business and deal with some family business. Now, I want to just tell you as your preacher, I'm not Jesus. So please, like, don't just stand up and interrupt me and say, hey! My wife and I are kind of arguing about what we're supposed to eat today for lunch. Can you fix that? No, I cannot fix that. Good luck. Sit down. He's used to being interrupted. And it never bothered him. Such limited time, such important things to do, such necessary things to be a part of. And yet he was okay with being interrupted. So he's walking through and a woman just reaches out, touches the hem of his garment, I don't know if, if she grabbed it. I don't think she grabbed it. The word doesn't, doesn't, doesn't seem to indicate that. It just seems to indicate that she just reached and brushed her head past. We're told that this woman had a bleeding problem. Likely it was some sort of thyroid problem, maybe a cancer of some time. What We do know for clear is that it had been a problem that she had had for 12 years. For 12 years, she had been ill. And she had done everything she could. She had spent all her money, exhausted all of her energy, seen everyone she could see to fix the problem. And 12 years later, it's still with her. 12 years is as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive. For them, it was 12 years of joy, but for her, 12 years of suffering. This suffering and this bleeding that was constant would have made her ceremonially unclean. She would not have been able to worship at the temple. She would have been excluded because of the uncleanliness from the synagogue. She was an outcast from society. The physical effects and the spiritual effects that that put upon her weighed heavy on her, I imagine. She is spent, she is at her wits' end. But she hears of the man that's fixed things for people, that's healed people. She's heard about the power. She's at the other end of the social spectrum than the man who is involved here. She's really not welcome in the crowd that she's a part of that day because of her issue. Likely she had hidden it long enough to get to where she was going, to get as close as she could. But that day, all the social boundaries, all the embarrassment, all the rejection, she had reached a point where she doesn't care anymore. Just like Jairus didn't care anymore. And that's where we find the similarities with these two people. He goes in, she goes in. He falls at his feet, she falls at his feet. And in their own way, they plead for the great healer with the power of God to intervene in their situation. Neither of them, neither one of them cared what anyone else thought. Neither one of them cared about the crowd. They had to get to Jesus. So she, she pushes through the crowd, knowing his power, saying in her mind to herself, If I can just touch him, if I can just touch him, if I can just, just touch him, I'll get well. Because there's so much power in him. There's so much power flowing from him. If I can just get in, if I can just touch, I'll, I'll be healed. And, you know, there's, there's truth to that. Jesus wasn't stingy with his power. In fact, we see in the story, just, just kind of gushed from him. And she was right. She was healed. She touches the him, she grazes the him. And immediately, her 12 years of misery, her 12 years of darkness and depression and grief are gone. This is not superstition. This is not some hocus pocus. I want you to understand what's taking place here. This is faith in the power of Jesus and the belief that he had such immense power that flowed from him. must it have it felt like for? that as she in faith reaches out, he honors her faith. Jesus had healed people already plenty of times without faith. But I want you to understand something, friends. He has never saved anyone without faith. What this woman shows us is that she is well on her way to salvation as she's believing in the power of Jesus. And that could have been it. The story could have stopped right here. We could have gone on to Jairus's story and seen how Jesus walks in the house and he says, she's not dead, get up, child. Child gets up and there's a resurrected life right there, but, but it didn't stop. What stopped was Jesus. And that's the last thing I want you to see about this, compassion. It's it's accessible, it's available, it's interruptible, but it's also inexhaustible. What takes place next is interesting. Jesus was a a man on high demand that day. He had places to be, people to heal. He needed to rest. His time on earth was limited. The GPS was already set for Golgotha. But notice what he does. He stops and he asks the question, verse 45, who touched me? I love Peter's response. Everybody was like, not me. Everybody denied it. Master, the crowds are surrounding you, pressing in on you. He's like, really? Jesus, who touched you? They all did. Like, they're so, they're touching all of us. They are so up in our space. They are so up in our grill right now, Jesus. And you're asking me who touched me. Everybody touched you, Jesus. And Jesus says, Whoa. Did he not know? And I think he knew exactly who touched him and what he did for her. I think Jesus knew what was going to take place before he ever got off the boat that day. I think as he walked on through the crowd, he knew right what he was walking into. It wasn't that he needed information about who touched him. It was that he wasn't done with her yet. She knew, he knew she needed more than just physical healing. And that's what we see about Jesus, that he exhausts all his energies and all his efforts to the end of what he needs to do. He could have let the lady go on physically well, but there was other things that needed to be taken care of. She needed to be restored socially, publicly, but she also needed to be restored spiritually to God, and only he was the one that could affirm that. He's never short. Jesus never cuts it off. He is the God of details, and his attention is inexhaustible until he gets done what needs to be done. I want you to understand, Jesus knows your circumstance, your dilemma, your problem far greater than you do. He knows how many seconds you've lost sleep over it, He knows how many tears you've cried over it, He knows how much pain it's caused you and others. And so Jesus says, no, 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 no. I perceive someone's someone's touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out of me. Wow. Jesus felt what he did. Listen, the power of God is not impersonal. It's personal in the nature of God. And when the power of God flows from Him to you, He fills the flow. What a thought! What a thought that Jesus felt what that woman's faith received from Him that day. His life pours into us. We feel the power. We feel the infusion of the spiritual power into our life. And we see it evidence in our life. Certainly this day, this woman felt the power. She saw it evidence in her life. But did you ever stop and think that God feels it too? That our Lord experienced, actually felt the outflow of His power. God is not impersonal. He's not detached. He's not just the big man upstairs. No, he is the man with us, down beside us, giving of who he is and himself for us. And when God touches a life, power flows and he feels the flow. When one receives the power of God into their life or her life, it does not come without personal involvement from God. Think about the most powerful thing that God has ever done. Saving us. Nothing is more powerful. There's no greater demonstration of God's power in a human life than when a person is brought from death to life and saved and given eternal life. Nothing is big as that. And did God feel that flow when he saved you? You better believe he did as he watched his son screaming in agony. Jesus felt every, every sin, and shame, and guilt-ridden action that you and I have ever done, or thought. As the weight of his father's wrath and hell fell on him there on that cross, he felt the flow of the power that came out of that moment as he gave his life. It's personal with Him. And every moment that the Holy Spirit of God works in your life, bringing you to the image of Jesus Christ, conforming you in the process of sanctification, as He's chiseling on you, as He's correcting you, as He's helping you, as He's showing you His work, as He's bringing you into greater knowledge, He feels every bit of that in your life. One day when you're glorified, he feels every bit that He feels everything he does. Every time he heals a person and touches a marriage and intervenes in a situation in life, he feels that it's personal with him. His compassion is so deep. It's so real. It's not some foreign idea on the outside. It's an intimate, living, personal union of life with the living, eternal God. And he feels the flow. This is the end of any sort of magic or any sort of superstition. Whatever the word is. (laughs) This is the end of, hey, hey, touch the TV or buy this handkerchief or this water. No, 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 no. That's not what takes place here. What we have is the personal power of God flowing from Him to us by the avenue of faith into the personal, through the personal, inexhaustible Jesus Christ. He's personally involved, inexhaustibly completing what He starts. And at the end of this story, what we have is not just a woman who is healed, but a woman whose, whose life is changed. And not just a dad that's comforted, but a daughter that is revived. So Jesus, he knows you. He loves you. He knows your hurts. He knows your needs. And He is accessible to you. He is available to you. He is interruptible to you. And He will stop nothing. There is nothing off the table. He will inexhaustibly work to meet your need. And it's personal with Him. There is not a person too great or too small. There is not a person clean enough or too dirty. There is no sin too great or life too small. Yeah, That's, that's the beautiful thing about... This morning, as I was walking through the lawn outside, you noticed when you came in, there's a bunch of crosses that represent the lives of children whose life was taken from them before they came into this world. And I think it's important thing that we as Christians recognize that and do everything we can to see that stop. But I want you to think about this. Those crosses represent A small life, minuscule in the sight of many, but they mean a lot to Jesus. And on the other side, think about this of those crosses is a big mistake man and woman and just as Jesus has compassion on this life Jesus also has compassion on these lives and just as he has taken care and covered these lives Jesus will inexhaustibly he gave himself on the cross to take care of these lives as well. Nothing is too great or ugly or shameful. No, he's accessible, he's available, he's interruptible. He's inexhaustible. And he cares for you. His compassion is real and his power is real for you let's pray